Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire, and then there's just a gigantic, huge explosion, like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience. We were kidnapped by nuns in Puerto Rico. <laughs> not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff. I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. Thanks for listening. My guest today is Conrad Valashevsky. Before we get to Conrad, a few announcements. One is that you go to the website, TravelTalesPodcast.com. You can go there, check out articles, check out photos of our guests, check out links to all their social media, check out links to all our social media. And that is, of course, Instagram, Travel Tales Podcast. Follow us there, Travel Tales Pod on Twitter, and Travel Tales Podcast on Facebook. Give us a follow. Give us a like on all those things. I'd appreciate it. If you go to our website as well, you will find links to Stitcher Radio, where you can subscribe to the show, and also iTunes. And if you're on iTunes, I ask you once again, please, to give us a good rating, because that helps boost our presence, which makes more people find the show, and that's cool. If you want to write me, it's TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com, TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. This week's guest is Conrad Valashevsky, talk to him from his home in Chicago, where he's about to have a baby. Well, his wife is anyway. But he's been living in Egypt for a while, him and his wife. And uh, I found that fascinating. I made contact with Conrad through my friend Jeanette Seha, who was uh, a guest of the show last year. And thank you, Jeanette, because I found Conrad very interesting. He's a traveler with a head for business. He developed an app called Trip Scout, which is something, the more he talked about it, made me go download it immediately after our discussion. It's a great idea. It sounds very handy for travelers like myself and you, probably, if you're a listener. And he was just a very interesting guy. So please enjoy my conversation with Conrad Valashevsky. Find some beautiful place to get lost. Find some beautiful place to get lost. Conrad Walazuski. It's actually Walashevsky, but ah, close enough. Ah, <laughs> shoot. You think being from Chicago, I would know a good Polish name. Yeah, it's the uh, the Polish names. The W sound like Vs. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a few tricky ones in there. The old Mike Krzyzewski trick. Yep. Yeah, well, so you're a Chicago native then? No, no. Actually, uh, I've lived all over. Uh, I've lived in Chicago for maybe two years, uh, but uh, currently traveling pretty much full-time i've made my home base cairo for the time being oh my god uh and we just came out here uh literally a few weeks ago just to uh you know once it was the deadline where my wife couldn't fly uh yeah i think it's six weeks until your due date so we came back here to have the baby we'll stick around here for a couple months and then we will head back to cairo that's amazing so what at what point in your traveling life, and we'll get to how uh, your website started and all that in, in a minute, but at what point did you convince uh, your wife that uh, you wanted to drag her around the world, or did it take much convincing? No, no, she was of like mind, so yeah, it didn't, uh, didn't take any convincing. Is the plan to eventually to raise your kids and have them go to school around the world? Yeah, we haven't, uh, you know, you can have as many theories as you want 
uh, <laughs> what you'll do with kids. But uh, I know once it changes, this is our first one. So once we have, they actually get here, uh, we might change our theories. But yeah, for now, I mean, it's uh, I grew up with uh, most of my family living overseas and then some of my family and my mom in the U.S. So I, I've been used to going back and forth and I'm used to the international schools. And so, yeah, it's uh, at least at least the plan right now is to uh, you know, keep keep traveling and keep uh, living overseas. What kind of work was your dad in that you went all over the world? Well, they're actually from uh, they're from Poland, so they are political refugees uh, from Poland. So my dad was one of the leaders of the Solidarity Movement uh, oh, okay. that you know, overthrew uh, communism when they're under yeah. Soviet occupation. And so they uh, so once uh, so they both were arrested. My mom was printing out underground newspapers on freedom and democracy, and the communist police raided her house and arrested her, and then. My dad, you know, is one of the leaders. He was able to stay out of jail for a while, but then once they went under martial law, they picked him up right away, uh, and uh, and they uh, decided to come to the U.S. They got refugee status, and then a little, you know, after a few years, my dad decided to move back. So it was more of it was more of moving back home than it was, you know, business related. But he was uh, he had an opportunity with he was working for General Motors out here, and so he had an opportunity to. You know, take a leadership role in Poland. Wow, that's pretty amazing. Did he end up uh, like many uh, Polish immigrants in Chicago? No, uh, it was <laughs> uh, he ended up uh, in North Carolina, and it was just because someone was willing to sponsor sponsor him. Wow, yeah. there's a there's a culture shock. Yeah, he. Uh, well, it's funny when he, you know, he he always had the uh, you know the wanderlust gene inside of him, and so he used to always bike around Eastern Europe and everywhere he was actually allowed into. And he at one point saw a picture of New Zealand. And so when he was getting refugee status, you know, they asked him where he wanted to go. And he said, New Zealand. And they said, New Zealand won't take refugees. He's like, I don't care. I want to go to New Zealand. And then uh, it was actually after some realization that that wasn't possible, that he settled on the, the U.S. as a uh, good second choice. <laughs> you said New Zealand, New Ca- North Carolina, you know, yeah, kind same, of similar, same difference. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, my mom was supposed to go to uh, Seattle, and they uh, they changed it up on her, and she ended up going to New York City, and she, you know, didn't, uh, didn't really speak English at the time, so she just kind of landed in New York City and was... Yeah, you know, a little bit confused that it didn't really look like Seattle, but uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, different times back then. I've only been to Krakow in Poland. Oh, it's a great uh, city. It was beautiful, beautiful. You, but you I know, would tell people, you know, when people ask me where I was from, when I would say Chicago, they would, oh, we have a cousin there. You know, they already, yeah. <laughs> they all knew someone there, yeah. you know, or they had family or whatever, or they'd been and visited. Yeah, it was really interesting. Yeah, you know, I think Krakow is. Uh, one of the uh, more underrated cities in Europe. I think a lot of people, when they their first Euro trip, they go, you know, maybe as far east as Prague, mm-hmm. and uh, and they're I think they're missing out on some of the, you know, some of the real gems like uh, Krakow or Budapest or Tbilisi or some, you know, some of the cities that I think are just, you know, world class cities to travel to. But uh, yeah, I think more people should uh, make it a little further east. I thought I thought Krakow was just as pretty as uh, Prague, and it's cheaper and less touristy. And I always recommend it to people. Yeah, it has a similar, you know, 
remains standing after World War Two. Yeah, uh, look and feel. So yeah, I agree. It's I mean, Prague is a great city, too. But, uh, you know, and I might be biased because I spent so much time there growing up. But I think it's I think it's an amazing place. So quick travel tips for people looking at Poland after Krakow. Where do you send them? I've never been to Warsaw. Is it worth checking out? Yeah, uh, Warsaw has... Uh, I heard it's not as pretty by any No, means. it doesn't have that same uh, prettiness factor. Because it was demolished uh, during the war, Yeah, right? and so it was rebuilt in a very Soviet-style. <laughs> yeah, so if you walk around, it could definitely look depressing, but it has, just like a lot of major cities in Europe, it has a little bit more of a, a gritty vibe, and there's just a lot of cool... Uh, cool restaurants and uh, cool neighborhoods. So yeah, I would definitely make uh, make Warsaw uh, a priority. And then you know, there's just a lot of really small, beautiful cities to drive around. The countryside is beautiful. Uh, I'd recommend Zakopane just to get to to the mountains. You know, if you want to get a get on the coast, Gdańsk is a really cool city. So yeah, I think it's just one of those cities that, you know, or one of those countries that there's just it's best to you know, get in a car and just kind of drive around. And, you know, there, there are not too many places, too many directions you can go. There's a few major roads in each direction. And, uh, yeah, just get out wherever it looks, uh, looks cool. The Polish, uh, the Polish people are always very, very warm and hospitable. So you can usually find yourself getting into some kind of good time or, or trouble, whatever your taste yeah. is. How is your, uh, vodka tolerance? Uh, I had to definitely build up a good, good time. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty good. Well, let's uh, start with your story and let's start from why you, uh, started your website and it's called go, go Conrad, right? Go Conrad. Yep. So go Conrad's my travel blog and my company is trip scout. You were a pretty like, you know, a uh, straight businessman from the start. Yeah. You? you were just a regular, uh, go to work kind of guy. Yeah, well, I've always, uh, yeah, I guess I've always had in my own business or have been, you know, working in different, uh, you know, different careers, but I've, I've always prioritized travel throughout that. And so, you know, I would always make sure to do things where I could work remotely for at least a month at a time, or, you know, I would just figure out ways that I could combine my you know, love for travel and, uh, and my career, and I didn't want to, you know, I think a lot of people when they, when they want to go on a long-term trip, they usually think like, okay, this is either in my gap year or when I retire or maybe some in-between job situation where I happen to get laid off or I happen to, you know, have six months before I find something new. And I never really wanted to, that didn't really appeal to me because I've always really liked the work I was doing. I always wanted to grow my career, but I also wanted to travel, so I just always figured out ways where I could do both uh, both at the same time. What kind of work uh, were you doing or are you doing? It's it's like computer-related. Did you come up with an app or something? Yeah, so my company is called TripScout, and it's a travel app that does self-guided city tours from local guides. Uh, and so we we work with local experts, curate a list of things to do, uh, in every city, put it on an offline map and uh, allow you to kind of go around and explore both on and off the beaten path uh, with your phone. And we have audio guides that are podcast style that you can you know listen to the history and the culture and you know get context of some of the neighborhoods you're in. You know, I thought uh, you know I, I've been to probably a hundred countries and I've 
Uh, I've always thought that, you know, finding a flight these days is extremely easy. Finding a hotel or hostel or Airbnb is extremely easy. But really figuring out what to do when you're in a place uh, is still a really big pain. And, uh, you know, people are buying guidebooks like, you know, like they did for decades or they're, you know, reading hundreds of different blogs or they are, uh, going on sites like TripAdvisor, which we won't even get into a lot of the problems there. Uh, <laughs> and so I thought, you know, having an easy way where you, know, you can get a local to give you their perspective and give you cool things to do. Uh, and also some of the things that, you know, you probably won't find in a top 25 TripAdvisor list, some of the more neighborhood spots. So I uh, decided to create a company uh, that did that. And, you know, on a on a personal note is really that, uh, you know, after my last company, I was a chief operating officer of a venture back company that got uh, acquired. And after, you know, after I finished, uh, you know, leading off the acquisition and doing the transition, I, uh, you know, I've been thinking about this product for a long time. And I really realized, like, you know, travel and my work were always at some, comp- you know, a little bit of competition with each other. So, you know, I was always trying to figure out how to travel. And then when I was traveling, I was having to catch up on, you know, work. And, and I said, you know, well, the next thing I do, I want to combine, combine both of these. And so, you know, my, my job now is to travel around the world, find cool places to eat, meet locals who, you know, can give good recommendations and, you know, explore different neighborhoods. So I've been lucky enough to find a way that, uh, combines it all. My, you know, love for building businesses and building product and, my my love for travel. Now is the trips it's Trip Scout is the name of the app, right? Correct. And so is it geared toward a certain kind of traveler? Because when you're talking about things to do, that's a pretty wide blanket there. I mean, do you go with like what's the typical demographic for someone you know, like the a kind of bar or restaurant that would appeal to a sixty year old wouldn't necessarily appear to a appeal to a twenty five year old. So who is it going after when you have all these yeah, we're, we're definitely geared towards the, uh, you know, what you might call the millennial traveler. Uh, but I don't think that's necessarily an age group as much it is as it is a mindset. So, you know, I think that it's 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 the people that are you know really trying to value a more local experience. So, you know, they don't want to go to uh, maybe an overly touristy restaurant that combines a cultural show. They want to go to a, you know, cool speakeasy or a neighborhood bar where you know you're going to meet a lot of locals and and have some kind of cocktail that's relevant to that area. Uh it's not uh we don't do anything that is uh uh necessarily like we don't cater towards any particular budget because we always try to find uh really good things to do that are either free or relatively inexpensive so we're not going to you know, recommend a Michelin star restaurant that's a couple hundred dollars a plate, just, you know, if there's plenty of ways to easily find the top restaurants like that. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we're more likely to recommend, uh, you know, some old grandma who's had a restaurant for the last 30 years and makes a really good, uh, homemade meal. And, uh, that's something that I think, you know, even though the, the plate price might be cheap, it's something that it doesn't matter whether you're, traveling on a budget or traveling with uh, unlimited budget, uh, it's something that you should really do while you're in town. How many countries and cities is Trip Scout in now? Yeah, so we have guides for 50 cities at the moment, uh, and we're 
constantly adding more. Wow. Okay. So what were the first ones and what, what are the most popular ones? Yeah, so the po- most popular ones are the ones that you'd probably expect, the San Francisco, New York, uh, Paris, London, D.C., uh, the, uh, the really popular tourist destinations. Right. Uh, the, the first one we start, you know, I'm from Washington, D.C., or at least I lived there for a long time from Washington, D.C., uh, so we started there. Uh, we added, I think Philly was the next city uh, we added, and then we... Uh, started adding some in Central America because I ended up doing a road trip through. I started in Mexico City and you know basically went to every country on the way uh, south. So added some uh, some cities uh, throughout there, uh, and it's it's been a combination of you know we we get requests so we add uh, we add cities that our users are really you know asking for, and also it's just a little bit you know a little bit selfish. We had cities where yeah, you know, I uh, I want to go, or my co-founder just wants to travel to. So uh, you know, I still do most of the uh, most of the content uh, with you know we find locals in each city. So, but I you know I do most of the working with them to to get the guide live. So you know, it's a lot of it's like you know what I haven't been to Ethiopia. So next city that's on the list is Addis Ababa, and uh, and so yeah, it's a little bit. Uh, a little bit of a combination, you know, where I have a professional answer about, you know, the number of tourists and the number of requests that we get. And then it's also just a real, you know, selfish answer of where, right. wherever I want to go next. How was it uh, that you find these locals and, and are, were they personal uh, friends of yours or were they recommended by other people? And who, who are these people? Yeah. So we work with tour guides a lot because they just know how to explain their city and they know what travelers like to see. And, uh, you know, after, uh, after having traveled as, you know, as often and as much as I've I've traveled, you know, I, I've built up a pretty good network. So I'm able to, you know, I'm able to put out requests of, Hey, I'm going to the city. Does anyone know a real, you know, good local insider that knows their stuff? And I usually get good recommendations. Uh, otherwise, or, you know, even in addition to, uh, I'll just go on and, you know, take a bunch of walking tours and food tours and I'll talk to a lot of people and I'll, uh, just find it that way. And usually when you meet someone, uh, who, uh, really knows their stuff and give good recommendations, you, uh, you know, pretty quickly that if they're a good fit. Right. So if you, uh, find a bar, say in Paris, and you want to recommend it. Do you meet the owners? Do you talk to them? Or do you just put it on the site and don't even let them know about it? Yeah, usually we don't even let them know just because, you know, we don't want to get in the game where we start advertising with local yeah. bars or we have any kind of influence uh, or they have any influence with that. So usually we don't. Now, you know, if we're we're also there experiencing everything we recommend. So a lot of the places... You know, if we're having a few drinks at a bar, we end up meeting the owners and we know them and they might know that we what we do. But we usually unless it's unless it's after the fact and say, hey, by the way, we just we just featured you in our guide. Uh, We sometimes do that. But for the most part, usually usually not. It's just we recommend, you know, we we like to think of it as, uh, you know, all of our uh, all of our users are just like our travel buddies. And like, what would we you know, if if you were going to Paris and I was going to send you an email of things you should check out. That's kind of our mindset. So, you know, I don't, 
we we just like to keep it keep it a little bit more casual and we you know don't have any of the you know any of the influences of who we recommend and why right well i guess the danger with some of this is is that people will look at your recommendations and wonder if if you're getting some kind of a kickback you know that yeah. like like a cab driver does or something yeah no for sure and uh you know i think we try to make that pretty clear that we we don't and uh and in many ways like there's no there's no way we don't have any like advanced tracking that knows someone goes in there or we don't have, you know, here's a coupon, show the restaurant. And then, you know, we get credit for that. So for the most part, you know, you'll, you'll see the sites on an offline map. And if you decide to go there or not, like it doesn't, uh, you know, there's really no way for us to get a, get a kickback. We just, you know, we like to, uh, yeah, keep the integrity and build that, you know, we have the brand that we, that's, you know, that's not the kind of stuff we do. Is there one city that was the most, uh, say, difficult to map out and do? Uh, if you had to rank them all, <laughs> was there one that was really hard <laughs> for you? Well, there, uh, there, certainly, uh, there certainly were several. I mean, one I was at recently was because uh, uh, we like to add just not the the common tourist sites. We like to add you know other cities that are maybe off the beaten path, but. I was in Hargeisa, uh, Somaliland in Somalia. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that's, there's not a lot of, <laughs> there's, there's not a lot of resources on figuring out, uh, good things to do. And, uh, uh, except for just walking around and taking in all the, <laughs> all the sights and <laughs> smells and characters. And, uh, so, you know, there are cities like that, that we, uh, that, you know, are, have been more challenging that we haven't, you know, we haven't launched a guide for, for there yet. Uh, and, you know, there's, yeah, uh, the uh, I think maybe one of the harder ones that we actually have was uh, Beijing, uh, just because the uh, location data is less readily available than a lot of other cities, at least from a, when you're trying to come at it from an English perspective. Right. And then uh, and then we had you know they ran into some issues where you know Google has had some restrictions there, and so some of the some of the data sources we pull to get you know core you know coordinates. Uh, just were were all were always off by you know a couple blocks, and so that was a little bit more of a a, a a manual process from not necessarily figuring out what to do, but actually packaging it into into a mobile app was a little bit more challenging. Is the key to these uh, that you don't have to be online, right? You don't have to have Wi-Fi to get these maps. Yep. You, uh, I mean, you have to download it while you have internet. Well, and yeah. So, or you mean, go, you download the guide, and yes, it works. That's always been, up. yeah, it's yeah. always been one of my tough problems when I'm when I'm overseas, and it's like I'm using the map, and all of a sudden, oh wait a minute, I'm sucking data in a foreign country. Oh yeah, and it's uh, and that stuff adds up quickly. <laughs> so we, uh, yeah, it works completely offline. You can do it in airplane mode. Uh, we have the maps and all the content and audio. It's all offline, and uh, and even the GPS. So. Uh, we're able to get your location based on satellite data, which doesn't take uh, a data connection. So you can still have a map and know where you are without uh, without using uh, your your connectivity. How do you uh, compete with things like I don't know if uh, Lonely Planet? Has, I'm sure they do have an app, but uh, who is your biggest competition? In this field. Yeah, so I mean, Lonely Planet actually just recently launched their app, and they're only in a you know at least last time I looked, only in a handful of cities. Uh, I mean, I think our biggest competition is you know however people rely on finding things to do. So it's still 
Lonely Planet and the other guidebooks. That's that's a, a big part of it. The uh, there's TripAdvisor that people still rely on, and uh, you know it's frankly just like googling a lot of uh, a lot of travel blogs and reading, uh, you know, kind of curating your own list of recommendations uh, on a on a restaurant and bar perspective. You know, I would say maybe Foursquare, but although that has a different, you know, kind of a much different use, but that's that's you know certainly a good travel tool. So yeah, it just it ranges all across the all across the board. But that's what we're uh, you know our perspective is like you don't need to carry around a guidebook and you don't need to spend hours doing the the research yourself. Like we'll we'll take you to uh, you know. So I'm I'm currently my home base is uh, is Cairo, and so you know it's one of those cities that like look if you're visiting Cairo for the first time you're going to see the pyramids. You should see the pyramids. Yeah. They're pretty cool. And so we're, we're going to show you the pyramids and the major stuff, but we're, if that's all you do, you're going to miss out completely on, you know, what uh, makes Cairo such a fascinating city. So we're also going to show you some of the, you know, underground beer halls and some of the cool markets and, you know, neighborhoods that you see a lot of just craftsmen, uh, you know, building furniture and fixing cars and, you know, just a lot of the really cool stuff that, uh, I guarantee you, you won't, uh, if you said things to do in Cairo, it wouldn't come up. Right. For, oh, also, I want to apologize to uh, people listening that uh, the lawnmower guy just showed up outside. So if you hear that, that's what that is. <laughs> My timing is impeccable. I forget, you know, on, on this day, that's when he shows up. But anyway, um, why Cairo? I mean, Cairo seems to me, it, I've never been to Egypt. It's still on my list. Um, but Cairo just seems overwhelming why what is it about Cairo that speaks to you that made you want to move there yeah so I mean it was we I mean it was actually pretty pretty logical we uh uh my wife and I wanted to live in a uh, big city with a big airport so that we could travel a lot we wanted it to be centrally located uh and uh we wanted it to be a uh, a grittier city and uh you know at least a developing city, you know, unfortunately in you know, Egypt's perspective is sometimes undeveloping is probably a better way to describe it, but still the same concept, you know, uh, a less developed city. Uh, and, uh, my wife has studied Arabic, so she preferred, uh, an Arabic speaking place. And so we, uh, when you, when you put all of that together, I think Cairo is the only one that was, that was left standing. And yeah, it is a, uh, I mean, first off, I think you really should go visit. It's a it's a really good time to go now, just because there are almost no tourists and everything is extremely cheap uh, with the currency crisis and the you know the economy the way it is, and just also the lack of tourism. Uh, but it's it's a fascinating city. I just think it's one of the most interesting cities uh, in the world, and it is it constantly defies all logic sometimes. And so I like to, you know. I like to describe like if you're ever if you're ever having a bad day and you're walking around like Cairo will find a way to pull you up like you'll you'll see some you know taxi driver that stops you know an entire you know 300 car backed up traffic just so he can help a cat across the road uh and you're just like oh that's you know life is beautiful and then if you're <laughs> ever feeling the other way where you're having a good day Cairo will have Drag a way you of down. pulling you right back down. You'll see like that same cab driver, you know, run over three people just because, you know, right. 
they were standing in the road. So uh, it's it's just a fascinating city. Every time uh, every time you, I think I understand it, I find a whole another layer. Uh, it's like an onion. You just pull back one more layer, and uh, uh, you, you learn a whole new side of the city. So I mean, it's right now. If you visit, you can. Uh, you know, you might go to these old ancient ruins and be, you know, one of the only people there. And so you'll have the whole place to yourself. So, uh, and it, I would I'd definitely recommend. And the Egyptian people are very, you know, very friendly, very hospitable, you know, except for the people that are at the pyramids trying to, you know, sell, annoy, you, stuff. sell you like trinkets and camel rides and that kind of stuff. Like outside of, you know, that, like almost everyone will be, you know, as as welcoming and hospitable and as generous as you could imagine. How are things politically there now? Yeah, I mean, politically, it is. Uh, it's it's not great. It's not a great time to be uh, an activist or a journalist. How about uh, Jewish? How about Jewish? How would I do oops. there? <laughs> I, I think you do all right. There's a little <laughs> Jewish population. You might not be. Uh, uh, you know, just don't uh, don't uh, start don't sit at the corner and uh, you know talk about uh, Zionist. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm but, not, I'm not even I'm not even technically <laughs> Jewish, but sometimes the name is enough for them to yeah. uh, no, give me know, a red flag, you know. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's you know it's fine. Like it's uh, so yeah, it's I mean it's I would say that it's uh, a great time to visit. It would I would not say it would be a great time. Uh, if you live there and you didn't have the ability to do other things. And it's, I think there's a lot, I mean, there's, there are people building really cool things. There are very inspiring stories going on. There's, you know, there, there's a whole startup community that is, uh, and an art community that is just like really kind of undergoing a renaissance right now. So it's, there's, it's, it's really exciting, but it's also, you know, the economy's, uh, really suffering and, uh, the, let's say the, political noose is tightening and you know there are some certainly you know i don't want to paint it like it's you know they have everything figured out there's definitely some challenges but uh in terms of you know visiting or being an expat there you know i don't i don't ever not feel safe or you know not feel comfortable what is the is there any truth to that old tale that uh if you visit israel you can't go there first and if you have an israeli stamp on your passport they won't let you in to egypt not or something like that. not not egypt but that is true with a lot of middle east like saudi countries. arabia i'm sure correct but. correct lebanon uh there's a lot so like you can i think the only countries that you don't quote me on this because i haven't oh i guess i'm on a podcast so i am getting quoted uh, <laughs> I, I do know i do know egypt is fine jordan is fine turkey is fine um a lot of the other countries yeah. will have issues uh the uh the the thing though when you go into uh when you go to Israel you can ask for them not to stamp your passport uh and they will just stamp a piece of paper and put it in your passport right. so i've even heard that they've started doing that as a uh as standard but i, I i'm not 100% sure when i when i went uh uh gosh it was like 3 or 4 years ago now i i uh i used my i have us and polish passport so i use my polish passport just in case and uh and i asked them not to stamp it and of course they gave me a lot of crap of why would you not want to stamp it and you tell them it's right yeah because i won't be able to go anywhere else and they're mm -hmm. like okay 
and then they stamp uh, a sheet of paper and it's fine. So I, I haven't, I mean, I've been to uh, the majority of Middle Eastern countries since uh, going to Israel and I haven't had any issues. Yeah, I, I went there and then I went to the ones you mentioned. I've been to Jordan and then Turkey and, and those, yeah. but I hadn't really been to the other ones. So I was just wondering because there is a stamp in my passport and I'm just wondering if that was going to yeah. be an issue. But I wanted to Egypt, go to Egypt. Egypt has a, yeah, Egypt has a, uh, I mean, they've had a like long standing treaty with Israel. Uh, they've, so yeah, there's, they're one of the, I would put them in the camp with Jordan where it'll be fun. Yeah. I was there in like 2011. So it was not very long after the Arab spring. You know? So when yeah. I was in Israel and I was thinking about going to Cairo, I was going to travel from there to Cairo, but uh, nobody could give me a, an answer <laughs> of, uh, because everybody in, in Israel was on edge because there was a new government and any kind of change makes them nervous. So they had kind of a, an agreement with the border with Egypt for you know 30 years. And then now everything's in question. So I never got yeah. a straight answer of whether it was okay for me to go. So I said, well, you know what, I'll just have to let Egypt wait till another time. So, yeah, well, the one thing you won't be able to do now is go by, uh, the land border. Uh, cause that is actually, Oh, really? You can't uh, go across the Sinai? No, the Sinai is especially the northern Sinai is actually uh, pretty much a full on war at the moment. Oh, so, uh, uh, you know, there's uh, there's a issue with ISIS and some other. Yeah, you know, there's so there's a lot going on. Like you'll uh, I've known a lot of people who haven't been able to even drive into the northern Sinai. They've, the roadblocks have turned them around. I think if you are. Last I heard, and again, this stuff changes very frequently. Last I heard that if you were Egyptian, they would let you drive, but if you had a foreign passport, they would not. And I've, you know, I've had friends who are Egyptian and American who uh, tried to go. They searched their bags and saw that there was an American passport buried in their bags, and then they turned them around. So, uh, so that is, you know, for, for a good reason, not a not a place you'd want to go. But the Southern Sinai, uh, like Sharm and Mount Sinai, that that area is still okay to, to travel to, which is where you'd want to travel. Yeah. Well, I'm a diver too. So I, I oh, wanted yes. to go to Sharm el Sheikh. There's great diving in Egypt. Yeah. So, well, that's pretty, so how long do you plan to stay in Egypt? And, and I mean, just a few years or well, yeah, not, not forever. Well, yeah, we'll stay for a little while and then, uh, you know, we're, we'll figure out where we want to go next. So you said something about, do you have a partner in the, in the app? Do you, uh, yeah. Okay. yeah, we have a team of people and uh, I have a co-founder uh, as well. So you're able to conduct all your business anywhere from or anywhere around the world? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big believer in distributed teams and remote work. Uh, I think there is a there are several benefits from one, you know, people are so much more productive when uh, they're not constantly getting interrupted for meetings and phone calls and random conversations. It allows, you know, when you're in a separate location, it allows you to actually get into deep work and focus and do something uninterrupted. Uh, second, you're, you know, people are just happier living where they want to live, not having to worry about commutes. Uh, you know, some people might choose to use that to travel the world and other people uh, use that to, uh, you know, live in a city that they love that happens to be in a different city. And, you know, you're also able to get, uh, talent from all over. So, uh, it's, uh, you know, I think you're, you're not just limited to recruiting people that are near you. And if you're in a big city, you know, people like that cost a lot more money. You know, if you're paying rent in 
you know, San Francisco or New York City or Washington DC, you have to, you know, you have to make a lot more money. So it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's a great setup. And I think, you know, I'm a big believer in it. And, uh, yeah, we of course have to go the little, the extra mile to increase our, uh, communication within the team and, you know, have regular calls and always be on Slack. But, uh, for the most part, I'm, uh, you know, I'm a big believer that, uh, you know, rem- a, a digital nomad remote team is, uh, really effective. Now on, for the app on trip scout is, is the money generated through the, the app costs what? $5. So the app is free, and then we sell uh, you have ads on each it. city. No, no ads. We the app is free, and we sell uh, each city guide. So if you download, you know, our guide to Cairo, for example, you'll, you know, all of our guides range from one dollars to five dollars. Okay. And then uh, you know we do, and we do some stuff like, uh, you know, certain cities. If you uh, uh, if you book. Uh, you know, if you book, if you buy one of our guides, you might get an email that is where we'll say, look, okay, when we were in the city, you know, here's our favorite hostel. Here's our favorite luxury hotel. Here's our favorite boutique hotel. Uh, and that's more of a content perspective where we say, look, I know searching through tons and tons of hotels is actually quite difficult. Uh, especially there's hundreds of reviews that half the time are irrelevant. So here's what we recommend. Uh, and those recommendations are purely organic, but it all leads to booking. So if you end up booking, uh, booking.com. So if you end up booking one of those, uh, that we recommend, we get a, uh, just affiliate commission, uh, from booking. Uh, so, you know, there's just a few other things like that. And then, uh, uh, but yeah, it's almost, almost all through, uh, guide sales. Now you have, uh, are all these guides audio or they're just ma- um, not, mostly not maps? all. So, okay. Yeah. So. We have 50 guides right now, and about half include the whole audio experience. And those those are the those are the ones that are like three, four, and five dollars. And uh, the ones without audio are the ones that are like one or two dollars. Who narrates the audio? So the local uh, partner that we have. Oh, so, it's not you. Your nope. golden so tones I, on the yeah yeah. You can the, be like uh, the. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I did Washington D.C. just because I you know I know that city well and I'm you know, fascinated by American history and like there's I so I did the guide to Washington D.C. But uh, every other every other audio guide we have is a local expert that uh, is a, most of the time a local tour guide so is used to kind of giving you know giving these stories about different neighborhoods and different sites. Okay, well, now that we uh, we covered the app, I want to get to your personal favorites. Give me your top three favorite cities. Ooh, see that is that is a tough one because I think it's it's like I don't you know I don't have kids yet. I will yeah. soon. I imagine I imagine that it's like saying which is your favorite child. I know. Uh, but if there's one city that you really, <laughs> yeah, I know. If there's one city that you really, you know, you, you find out, oh, I got a trip booked there. It's like, man, I, I always love going back to that yeah, place. Yeah, so uh, I would say, and I'll, in no particular order, uh, Buenos Aires. I love Buenos Aires. Uh, Istanbul. Great city. <clears throat> uh, Cape Town. Sure. Paris. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> all see. winners. They're all winners. Yeah. Sydney. Uh, and then I'd probably put in like uh, maybe uh, Hanoi or yeah. Luang Prabang or something in Southeast Asia. But, uh, you know, I would say that this is probably an easier answer. Someone asked me this recently. That was a different spin on the most underrated. 
I was going to uh, ask you that next. Which uh, yeah. which do you think doesn't get enough publicity? So I think uh, Tbilisi, Georgia is, and just Georgia as a country, I think it's one of my favorite places to travel to, and nowhere it gets nowhere near the kind of attention that most other uh, places in the world get. Uh, Why do you like it so much? I mean, it just has it all. It has uh, the country is beautiful, so you can get beautiful mountains you can get beaches you can get uh beautiful lakes uh the uh tbilisi uh has this unique combination of there's still that like soviet crumbling going on but also this like completely modern redevelopment and just the the food is incredible they have good wine they have uh tons of art it's it has a little bit of the just like beautiful old European city feel, but it's right on a river that cuts right through it. And so it just uh, it's 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 beautiful. It's a it's a really fun place. Um, so I would say Tbilisi, Georgia, uh, Mexico City actually is uh, I think doesn't get the credit that it deserves. It's I, a really fun place. Everybody I know talks up Mexico City and I've only been passed through. I've only passed through it, but I, I keep meaning to go. Well, I always, I always uh, look past it because I was always trying to go somewhere really far. Right. <laughs> and I live in L.A., you know, yeah. like Mexico comes to me. I don't right. go to Mexico. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and I went uh, recently in that same uh, you know, road trip I was telling you about. And, uh, yeah, I just thought it was a really great city. Uh, the, other, the other one I would say is underrated is uh, 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 Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. I think Ethiopia is a probably just as a country it's one of the most underrated places to travel to uh and then uh you know one place i went recently and this isn't from a city perspective because i don't don't really have any cities that are worth going to uh (laughs) but as a country uh papua new guinea was i think one of the most fascinating places i've ever traveled to i was just there recently and i would i could not recommend that enough and i heard well certain parts of it can be dangerous but uh I mean, it's it's just it's literally jungle, right? You're yeah. in the jungle. Yeah, there's uh, some tribal warfare that you know pops up from time to time. Uh, the uh, the yeah, it is. I mean, it's actually pretty diverse. It's jungle. It's a little bit of you know mountainous region. There's a the Sepik River is their big river that goes through the country, uh, and so it's 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 like going back thousands of years. You know, if you go like so. I went and uh, got on a little boat in the Sepik River and just went down and, you know, just explored random villages and tribes. And and there were there were most most of the places I went, like it was very clear that life has not changed here for thousands of years. Like it didn't have, you know, colonial powers come in and disrupt what they were doing. Uh, there are it's one of the most diverse uh countries because because there's all these different tribal regions there's over 800 languages spoken there so you know every you go from you know you might go a couple miles down the river and there's a different village that speaks a completely different language and has been you know living on their own for a long time so it's it's just it's fascinating and it's uh you know i i thought it was uh you know i've read a lot about how dangerous it can be but you know every person Every person that I met, you know, and we went through a lot of random villages, were extremely friendly and uh, welcoming, uh, and you know, of course, very curious <laughs> what yeah. I was doing and why I was there. <laughs> yeah, but very, uh, 
very excited uh you know that i was there so did, it was it was great did you make a guide for new guinea no that one's that one's hard because we are the way our guides work uh they're more city based the right. only non city we have right now is iceland where we have kind of the ultimate road trip guide where we picked all the best spots throughout the country uh, and that, but Iceland's a small country where you can kind of get in a car and go. Yeah, and exactly. And Papua Smaller New Guinea, than Chicago. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Papua, New, Papua New Guinea, you have to have a, uh, you, you have to fly places cause roads don't connect different regions. You have to get on a, yeah. get on a boat a canoe. And, a little canoe and go down a river. So it is, uh, I would love to do something, uh, in terms of, you know, creating a guide for Papua New Guinea, but, uh, uh, as far as right now, we don't have one. But uh, if anyone, uh, if anyone does go to Papua New Guinea, that's one of your listeners. Uh, if they sign up for Trip Scout, they just get an automatic email from me, and that's you know my email, so they can just reply and say, "Hey, I'm going to Papua New Guinea. Any advice?" And I'll I'll be happy to send uh, send tips and recommendations and you know some awesome. local awesome. fixers that I can connect them with. Give me your, Give me your- uh, one dream destination you still haven't been to yet. Hmm. So I haven't been to Cuba yet, and I feel like that's oh, pretty yeah. list. And then uh, I haven't been to uh, I haven't been to Brazil, which is what? something that people you know people always tease me about because you know I've, there there are many obscure countries that most people don't even know are a country that I've been to, and I just haven't made it to Brazil, and I. No particular reason. Just uh, you know, the couple times I was in South America, I just ended up going to Colombia or Uruguay or Argentina or Peru first, and uh, I just always thought I would. I think I think part of the reason was because you know you have to get a visa, and so when mm-hmm. I and I hate dealing with going to the embassies and getting a visa, so I think it was just like, huh, Brazil or Argentina? Oh well. One requires a visa, one doesn't. I'll go to Brazil next time. Uh, so that's on my list. And then I think really high on my list that I'll probably do when I get back to Egypt is uh, Sudan. Uh, that's that's one, a country I've wanted to visit uh, for a little while. And uh, yeah, I think that's the other one that's kind of been bugging me is uh, East Timor uh, in the South Pacific. <laughs> I. Uh, I was supposed to go. I uh, I've been to every country in Southeast Asia, and you know pretty much most of Asia. And then uh, uh, that was like the last one. And I was supposed to fly from Papua New Guinea. I had a connection in Australia, and then to to East Timor. Uh, and surprise, you know, the Papua New Guinea airlines had all kinds of delays and cancellations and other things. So it ended up causing me to miss my flight to East Timor, which there wasn't one for a while. So. That was one that was just, uh, you know, one I wanted to see and explore uh, and one that is that is missing from the region. So, I mean, it wasn't all bad. Like my consolation prize was I had to hang out in Bali for three days. So there are are worse cancellations. You know, I could get, you know, I didn't get beat up and dragged off the plane. You know, I just got sent to Bali. So I'll take that. But, uh, yeah, I'd say those are the ones that uh, the that I have left that are like top of my list. Okay. Two food questions. One country's food that you could eat every day. And two, what am I supposed to eat when I get to, uh, Cairo? What do you recommend? Hmm. Those are good questions. Um, so, whew, 
Yeah, that's a tough one because I, I I go either Thailand or Italy. Yeah, you know, the, I, I mean those two countries you can't go wrong ever. You can't go wrong with that. And I was actually thinking maybe Japan. Oh yeah, that's uh, a good one. Or uh, you know, I love I love Indian food and I love Ethiopian food, but I feel like having that every day would be Yeah. That's what happened to me. I love Indian food, but after 2 weeks in India, I was like, okay, I could uh, you know. Yeah. And it's heavy. Honestly, it's heavier than you think, too. It's like, Yeah, honestly, I don't think I could live with just one cuisine the rest of my yeah, life. I, well, I would just take I would just take the bullet, you know. The uh <laughs> I I would say that I could probably I could probably suffer and sacrifice and live through the ability to just to have tacos or sushi every day. If I could have those two <laughs> items, I think uh, I think I could I could manage in this world. Um, <laughs> well, what's Cairo food like? Yeah, so Cairo food's actually uh, not that great. It's kind of like <laughs> I would say poor man's Middle Eastern food. You know, goat? where it's a lot of goat. Yeah, there's goat. There, I mean, there you have all the traditional. You know, you have the shawarmas and the hummus and the falafel yeah. and the you know the moussaka. You know, all the uh, uh, Mediterranean, Middle Eastern all the, stuff. All the all the same stuff. It's just it's you know it's not like Lebanon or Turkey or you know, it's just not as good. Uh, I the thing that is uh, you must have if you go to Egypt is koshery. Uh, it's just kind of the Egyptian staple. It's kind of like how do you put every carb in a bowl? And uh, <laughs> rice, you know, they have rice and lentils and chickpeas and uh, and then they usually put tomato sauce and fried onion on it and then you can put some hot sauce on it that's that's actually delicious but in a kind of like a uh in a drunk food kind of way even yeah. though that's not <laughs> what it's used for there <laughs> but uh uh and then uh you know the uh the shawarma and falafel stands are great uh you know there's unfortunately a lot of the really good restaurants have kind of suffered because of the lack of tourism so uh they uh, they don't have as much as you know as many good options as they as they used to, but uh, you know I, yeah I would say uh, moussaka is always a good go to although in in uh, Egyptian Arabic they don't pronounce the cough so it's actually moussa'a so that mm. might it's a good thing to remember if you're there <laughs> but uh, yeah the uh, moussaka and koshery I think are you know usually my go tos they they use a lot of pigeon. Yeah, uh, which oh, is boy. interesting enough to try. Uh, camel? But, uh, Do they eat camel? Yeah, not as much as some other places, but yeah, you can definitely get camel. Um, What's it taste like? I don't think I've had camel. It's very lean, I think, isn't it? Yeah, you know, I've had it a few times, and but I had I've had it in places like I had it in Somalia, and it was just like. I, I don't know if I'm a good judge because it was also just like a, you know, extra well done steak. Yeah. And so it was like, I thought it was tough and chewy and gamey, but that was mm-hmm. probably, it was well done. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just like you would imagine, uh, you know, it's, it's like a, yeah, I don't know, maybe like a, a goat type meat. I don't know. I'm probably, uh, but I, I would not be a good judge cause it wasn't. No, the time I've had camel and cooked to to probably perfection. How tough is it to just uh, get a beer in uh, Cairo? And- so it's not. There are place. There are not a lot of places that serve alcohol, but the places that do serve alcohol are pretty readily available. And that is actually one of the things I discovered recently that I thought was one of the most fascinating parts of the city. They have a few like kind of more underground beer halls. Uh, but I had no idea until recently 
how many there actually were. So, you know, I've been to a few and that's my job to find these kind of cool places. Uh, and then I, uh, I was hanging out, uh, one night with, uh, a, uh, a, you know, foreign news correspondent who's been in Cairo for 10 years and just, you know, has kind of seen everything for a long time. And we were like, yeah, let's go on an underground ballady beer crawl. And, uh, we just, bounced around in like like a couple city blocks downtown you know if you walk down an alley walk up a set of stairs knock on a door you know, almost like traditional speakeasy style except they're not I mean, speakeasy I, cocktail bars they are you know just serving you know egyptian be- stella beers um <laughs> the uh yeah you'll just find all these like random little tiny bars tucked away in almost every block uh, you know, often they have belly dancers there. Uh, are they, are they underground because they're illegal? They're not. So uh, those, I don't know. They're the, there's alcohol is not illegal. Cause you know, if you're a restaurant, certain, right. Uh, Especially certain if you're catering to have, foreigners. Right. But there are a lot of restaurants who it's very difficult to be able to serve alcohol. So one of my favorite little neighborhood joints, uh, they, it's an Italian, they make great Italian food. He hasn't been able to serve uh, alcohol. I mean, it's an Italian place. Of course, you, you can't should serve, serve wine. wine. You can't serve wine. Yeah, and, and and he had had so he had so much external pressure. He used to let people bring their own wine, and he just got all kinds of harassment from the neighborhood and you know uh, the police and all kinds of other people. So even though it's legal, it's not necessarily easy. And uh, there are. Um, but yeah, the the reason they're underground, I don't know if it's underground because it's just socially less acceptable, and so they like to tuck away and not be seen, uh, or if those have some level of uh, informality that are not they're not like registered bars. Uh, I, that I, I couldn't answer. I mean, most of Cairo is informal. Like the there's like the you know official way of doing things, and that is like maybe one percent of the city. Yeah. <laughs> the rest is just. People have figured out how to do things and how to have, you know, how to, if you look at the unemployment rate, for example, their official unemployment rate is one of the highest. Like there, you know, there are no jobs. But if you look at the unofficial unemployment rate, uh, it's extremely low because everyone is doing something. Everybody's got a side hustle. Everyone, exactly. Everyone has, you know, sits in front of their cousin's shop and occasionally sells stuff. And, you know, they, there's just always this, yeah, like you said, a side hustle going on. So I actually don't know the reason they're, they're so hard to find. But my, my guess would be that uh, it's more of just the societal pressure, you know, where yeah, I think Cairo is a very, to- you know, tolerant and progressive as uh, an international when it comes to, you know, comparing it to a lot of its neighbors but it's uh you know there's it's still very islamic and a lot of that kind of stuff is very looked down upon uh and so you know people uh i think people usually have a choice in those kinds of situations like hey do i want to do i want to drink and do certain behaviors and get judged uh or do i not want to drink or do i want to still drink and just do it where no one sees me so i don't have to deal i get the best of both worlds so I would say that probably drives most of that behavior. Well, how would Egypt be for uh, women travelers, like Western women? Has your wife had any incidents? No. I I mean, she certainly has to be more on guard than I do. You know, like there are times where when she walks home by herself, just has to deal, like, like any city in the world, like people stare and that kind of stuff um, that, you know, I 
don't deal with. Um, and, but I would say, I mean, I've known a lot of women that have traveled around there, um, and it, everything has been fine and they felt safe and they felt great. But, you know, having said that, like I also, I try to have the sympathy where, you know, I'm not traveling as a solo female. And so I don't always know or experience the same types of things that they experience. And so, you know, there have been things that have happened and there have been, I've heard bad stories, but I would say it's kind of like a lot of places where like statistically, yes, you're, it's, you know, it's as safe as many other places and you'll be fine. Uh, but of course, bad things can happen anywhere. Now, the one good thing about Cairo, you know, despite being one of the biggest cities in the world, uh, 20 million people, despite being extremely crowded and uh, extremely poor, uh, there's almost zero petty crime. So you don't ever have to Pick worry about... Pickpocketing and things like yeah, that? You, you almost never have to worry about getting robbed or pickpocketed or mugged or any of that. And so um, compared to other major cities in the world. It's actually pretty safe from that perspective. Okay, cool. Well, man, it was, uh, it was great talking to you. So uh, for, uh, for the people out there listening, where can they go for this app and where can they give me the names of the websites and how they can follow you and everything else? Yeah, so the app is called Trip Scout, one word. You can find it uh, in the App Store for iPhone. Uh, Android will be coming out very soon. Uh, you can go to tripscout.co if you want to check out the website. Uh, my personal blog is goconrad.com. Uh, that's Conrad with a K. Uh, and that's where just I share more of my personal photos and I, I blog about both my you know favorite things to do in cities, but also how to work remotely productively uh, and how to try to make a difference in some of the places that you visit. So I usually share you know, cool, uh, campaigns or causes that are around the world. So I send out a, I try to do it weekly, but I don't always do it weekly, uh, newsletter about, you know, how to travel, like travel the world while you, uh, grow a business or career and try to make a difference. Uh, and then I'm pretty active on Instagram and that's at go Conrad again, Conrad with a K. So yeah, I'm usually pretty, pretty easy to find on the, the interwebs. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me, man. I, it was uh, it was great meeting you, and I'm going to get yeah, the app. Likewise. I'm going to get the app totally. Well, let me know what you think, and uh, and yeah, and this goes to you and your listeners. If you if we don't have a guide for a city that you're trying to go to, just respond and tell me where you're going. And if I've been there, I'll be happy to uh, share tips and favorite things to do because you know, that's why I created the app. Is I like to. I like to help people find cool stuff to do in the world. And so if we don't have a guy for it, you know, the, the mission still is consistent. So still want to still want to help people travel. So, yeah, it was great chatting with you. And thanks yeah. for having me on. Awesome. That's Conrad Valashevsky. Did I get that right? Wow. That was perfect. Hey, all right. Uh, I'm impressed. You're, you're remembering your <laughs> Chicago roots. Valashevsky. Got it. <laughs> all right, man. Thanks, Conrad. Yeah. Great chatting with you. 